to Chapel Hill. My name is Julie Hawkins, and I am the pastor of Next Steps. And on mornings like this, I am so grateful to be on a team of pastors. It is so humbling to see this great team that we have here. It's great to have Pastor Gunner back this morning and have Pastor Larry visiting us from Port Orchard. And I'm just always humbled to get to walk with Pastor Rachel as well. It's so great to be on this team. Some of you might know my husband, Joey. Joey has an interesting origin story. Joey didn't meet his biological father until he was almost 20 years old. And when he met Victor, you could tell that they shared the same DNA. Not only did they look similar, but they also talked the same. They used the same mannerisms. They did this funny thing where they would be at a stoplight and they would look at the letters on a license plate in front of them and they would make a word out of the letters. It was like a pre-wordle word game. You could tell that even though they weren't related, that even though they had never met, that they were related. But his father who raised him, Walter, Walter taught Joey to love the outdoors and to love foods like liver mush. Does anybody know what liver mush is? Not very many. It's a real treat. (laughs) Walter taught Joey to love flowers in the outdoors. Last week, Joey and I were in Switzerland, and as we were hiking, Joey kept taking pictures of flowers. That comes from Walter. Part of who Joey is is because of Walter's influence. But he also had Gary Hopkins, his young life leader. Gary was like a bonus dad to Joey. You can see that there's almost a family resemblance to Joey and Gary. Gary taught Joey to love community and that life is better lived with others. Gary taught Joey that you can follow Jesus and still be really funny. And I am so grateful to Gary for that. Part of who Joey is comes from Gary. These three men helped form the person that Joey is today. And some of that, some of it was genetic, some of it was taught, and some of it was nurtured and cultivated. Our Chapel Hill DNA is like that. Some of our DNA, what makes us uniquely Chapel Hill, is genetic. It's in our blood. Those first three that we've been talking about are those genetic things, that we are egalitarian, that we are reformed, and that we are spirit-filled. Today we're moving into the next three of our DNA, that we embrace humility, that we embrace courage, and that we embrace accountability. Now these three things, these are things that we nurture and cultivate. You'll notice that all three of them have that word in it, embrace. And that shows that this is something that we are working to. We're trying to be more and more humble and courageous and accountable. If we said that one of our DNA traits was that we are humble, well, we wouldn't be very humble, would we? But instead, we work towards it. And this morning, we're starting with the first of those three. We embrace humility. I believe that this is the hardest of the three, and it's also the basis for all those other traits. We embrace humility. If you're sitting in the congregation today and thinking, well, I can tune out because I don't struggle with this at all. I'm a humble person. I don't need to listen to this. Or if you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, I really wish that so-and-so were here today because, man, they really struggle with pride. I've got some news for you. You need to hear this message. We all need to hear this message because humility and embracing humility is something that we will always be working towards. It's something that we will never fully accomplish, and it's something that we all struggle with. And we'll see in our text this morning that the work to embrace humility is nothing new. 
It was something that the disciples struggled with as well. It was one of their favorite struggles. And yet Jesus calls us to something different. He called them to something different. He calls us to a life of submission and service. He calls us to be formed by sacrifice. So let's turn now to God's word for us today in Mark 10, starting in verse 32. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want for me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said, You do not know what you are asking. And dropping down to verse 41, When the ten, the other disciples, heard this, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As Jesus and his disciples make their way to Jerusalem, he started to talk more and more about his upcoming death. Jesus had the cross in view. And over and over again, he tells the disciples, this is what's coming. This is what to expect. This is going to be hard. Two times in the last two chapters of Mark's gospel, Jesus explicitly lays out what will happen when they get to Jerusalem. And both of those times, the disciples did not respond well. And here we have a third time where Jesus shares this. And at this point, the disciples, they've They've heard it a couple times. Maybe they've had some time to process it, to think through what it means. So Jesus tells them he's going to be humiliated, he's going to be flogged, and he's going to be killed. And James and John take this as their opportunity to pull Jesus aside and say, we want you to do us a favor. When you come to your glory after all that suffering, we want to sit at your right hand and at your left hand. It's a little bit awkward, isn't it? Jesus has just told them that he's going to suffer and that he's going to die. Their response to it was to ask for a position of power. Their response was to ask for something for themselves. I want you to imagine with me that someone comes to you and they tell you they found out that they're terminally ill and that they'll be gone in a week. And your first thought in your mind is, I wonder what they're going to do with their house. I know that the real estate market is crazy right now, but we shouldn't think of ourselves first. That's exactly what James and John did. They thought, what does this mean for us? And we should be so grateful 
to the disciples because they do such a good job of paving the way for us and showing us what not to do. We learn from Jesus how, to res- how he responded to them, what we should do. And in this text, we see a few ways that we can embrace humility. We see that we can embrace humility by being formed by Jesus, by being different from the world, and by being a servant first. Let's start with that first one. To embrace humility, we must be formed by Jesus. This is an area where the disciples showed us what not to do. They allowed themselves to be formed by their idea of Jesus instead of being formed by Jesus. For the last three years, the disciples had walked with Jesus. They had seen his miracles. They had heard his teachings. They had heard Jesus talk about God's kingdom and how it would be different, that in God's kingdom, the first would be last and the last would be first, that the powerless would be lifted up. They heard about this kingdom that called them to deny themselves, to take up their cross, take up the way of suffering and follow him. They had heard all of this, and yet in James and John's request, we see that they heard it but they had not been formed by it, despite their closeness to Jesus. And James and John were two of the disciples who were closest to Jesus. They had bought into the popular opinion that Jesus, the Messiah, would hold political and earthly power. And James and John, they wanted a piece of that power. And what better way to get that than to go straight to the source and ask for it? Now, somehow the other disciples, they hear this conversation happening and they get very angry, and an argument breaks out among the disciples. Can you just imagine the conversation that they had? How dare James and John ask for a position of power? They didn't deserve that. Andrew, Andrew deserved it. Andrew was the one who found Jesus first. Andrew was the first one to call Jesus the Messiah. He deserved a place of power. Or what about Peter? Peter was the guy who got out of the boat and he walked on water out to Jesus. If that's not power, I don't know what is. Or maybe Levi is the one who deserves the place of power. Levi, I think, was kind of like Jesus' social media expert. Levi, the tax collector, is the one who got Jesus into all the good parties with the other tax collectors. He's the one who deserved a place of power. In their argument, they show that they're arguing over who is actually the greatest, and they also show that they weren't being formed by Jesus. Brothers and sisters, to embrace humility, we must be formed by Jesus. And to be formed by Jesus, we have to spend time listening to him. We have to spend time letting his word sink in and change us. And for us to be formed by Jesus, it starts by spending time in God's Word. It is such a gift that we have the Word of God at our fingertips. We probably have a hundred translations of the Bible in our back pocket on our phones. We must begin to be formed by Jesus by spending time in His Word. That is where our formation begins. A few weeks back, Pastor Ellis recommended the Bible in One Year app, and I'm going to make a little plug for that as well. We take this seriously. We want you to be spending time in God's Word every day so that you are formed by Jesus. And the Bible in a Year app is a great way to start a daily practice 
of reading God's word, of being formed by the word of, words of Jesus each day so that we can embrace that humility, that we can be formed by Jesus. So if you don't have a daily practice of scripture reading, I want to encourage you to do that. Download that Bible in a Year app or find a Bible reading plan so that you're daily in the word of God. Because when we're in the word of God every day, we start to be formed by it. And we start to see that part of the way that we embrace humility is by being different from the world. When Jesus was standing there watching his disciples argue about who was the greatest and who deserved a place of power, he saw them wrestle with pride and he called them together. He said, let's have a little huddle. And he said, be different from the world. He told them, you know those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, and that their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. I love how the NIV translates that last phrase. The NIV says, not so with you. Those are powerful words. I want you all to say them with me. Not so with you. Out there in the world, it's all about power. It's all about who has authority. It was true in the first century. It is certainly true today. Today, it might be about who has the corner office, who's in that C-suite, or who is the person that writes the shift schedule. That's the person with power. Who has the most letters after their name, the MDs, the PhDs, the DDS, all that alphabet soup? Or maybe it's who has the most followers on Instagram or TikTok. There are areas where every single one of us is looking to get a leg up, looking for that piece of power, looking for that recognition and influence. But Jesus tells us, not so with you. I want you to take that phrase and make it your mantra. Keep it in your back pocket and pull it out whenever you have those moments of pride. It's something that I've been trying to do. Whenever I feel that twinge of jealousy or judgment, I say to myself, not so with you, Julie. Not so with you. A reminder that I am called to be different than this world. And I would love to tell you that I don't have to say it very often. But... Jesus is still working on me. This last week, I was sitting in the carpool line at Purdy Elementary, and I had about five times where I had to remind myself, not so with you. The car in front of me was idling for too long. Why didn't they just turn off their car? In my opinion, it was too long. Not so with you. I saw a kid carrying a backpack that looked way too heavy. What were their parents thinking? Not so with you. Five times, not so with you. The Lord is still working on me, and I need to apologize and repent of my carpool pride to any of the Purdy Elementary parents out there. Jesus is working on me. When you feel that desire for power or pride, that jealousy or judgment well up inside of you, I encourage you to remind yourself, not so with you. Those moments when you think that a task you've been asked to do is beneath you, not so with you. Or the moment where you think, I'm so much better at this than everybody else around me, not so with you. Those times when you realize that you're being critical of everybody else, judging every little thing they do, not so with you. Or those times when somebody gives you feedback and you think, who are they to tell me what to do? Not 
so with you. We embrace humility by being different than the world. And in order to be different than the world, we have this call on us. In order to embrace humility, Jesus calls us to be a servant. He says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I wonder how many of you have worked in the service industry before. Anybody waited tables or worked in the hospitality industry? Maybe you still do? Well, Joey and I, we paid our way through college in East Texas by waiting tables. I have to tell you that it was a very humbling experience. Joey worked at a pizza place called Joe's. Uh, it was a group of Albanians by way of Brooklyn in East Texas. We are very, very convinced that it was a witness protection program situation. And I worked at the only fine dining restaurant in our small town. We got paid $2.50 an hour. That's $2.50 an hour plus tips. It was humbling. And I want to tell all of you that if you are planning to go out to eat today after church, which I hope that some of you are, please be kind to your wait staff. Because the worst shift to get at either of our restaurants was the shift after church. You know that you would upset somebody in power if you got that shift. The worst treatment, the worst tippers, were the people that came after church, the after church crowd. It was so bad that my restaurant upped our wages for just that one shift to make up for the terrible treatment. I could tell you so many stories. I could write a book about it. Just one real quick. Never, ever write John 3.16 in the tip line, instead of giving somebody a tip. Isn't that terrible? It was a humbling experience. And Jesus says that we're to be servants if we're to be great. That word for servant that he uses is the one who waits on tables. Whoever would be great among you must be the one who waits on the table, not the one who owns the franchise. And Jesus doubles down and says, more than that, not just a servant, you are called to be a slave of all. In the first century context, a slave was somebody who had no rights. Everything about their life was determined by their master, the will and the whim of their master. And Jesus calls us to do that. He calls us to give up our rights, to give up our power, and become completely dependent on the will of our Lord, on the will of our master, that we are called to be a servant, a slave to God and to others. In order to embrace humility, we must take that posture of a servant. And that is a hard word, and it is even harder work. But thank God that Jesus set an example for us. He did it first, and he did it for us. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That verse, that verse is a sum up of the entire gospel. All of scripture culminates in that verse, and it gives us the most perfect picture of humility. Because 
at the core of humility is recognizing who we are and who God is. At the core of humility is recognizing the greatness of God and that we are not God. The core of humility is recognizing that we are the created, not the creator. And Jesus, who is God, Jesus, who is God, he submitted himself to the creator. He was the one who created and he became man. He became the created. Jesus submitted himself in obedience to the Father and took on the form of a servant. Jesus, the one who deserves all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the power and all of the praise, he submitted himself to the humiliation, the flogging, the mocking, death on a cross. Jesus, who was and is the first, the greatest, he became the last. He became a slave to all. And in doing so, he paid for our sins. He took on our sins and paid for all of those moments when we think that we're better than others. He paid for all of those moments when our pride gets the best of us. All of those moments where we think that we deserve a place of power. The Son of Man, Jesus, became a servant. He paid the price for your freedom from sin. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, embracing humility means embracing Jesus. Jesus is the complete picture of humility. And he calls us into service with him. He calls us into humility with him to be a servant. But how do we do that? How do we become a servant? In order to embrace humility, we must ask the Holy Spirit to help us serve. Pastor Rachel called us to invite the Holy Spirit's presence into our lives last week, and we need to do that again and again. I believe that that call to the Holy Spirit to change us and form us is true in all areas of our lives. We're called to serve others, no matter where we are. We're called to serve others in our workplace, whether you're the CEO or you're the one, the intern getting the coffee each day. You're called to ask, am I being a servant? How am I serving others? In our families, with our kids, with our spouse, with our parents, how am I being called to serve? Ask the Holy Spirit, how are you calling me to serve? In our schools and in our friendships, in our church, in every area of our life, how am I being called to serve? What does this mean for us as a church? How are we being called to serve? It's part of our DNA, we said, embracing humility. And that means that this is something that we're always working out together. We work to be formed by Jesus. We work to be different from the world's view of power. And we work together to be servants. And so as we close our time in prayer, I hope that the Holy Spirit continues to do a work in you this week, calling you into service, calling you to be different from the world. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus who showed us what it looks like to be the very picture of humility. Father, would we be more like Jesus? Would you call us to be formed by him? Daily, would your Holy Spirit be transforming us to be more like Christ? We pray that in those moments where we feel pride or jealousy well up, that you would call us to be different from the world. Not so with us, not so with the church. Would you call us into service? Would we know that transformative work of doing your kingdom work, seeing the good news of Jesus Christ going out into the entire world so that they might know this God who came down and walked among us, this God who became the created so that we 
might have a place in your kingdom. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 1030 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.